So several years ago, I attended a Christian conference, and uh, we were walking to the venue, and there was kind of a big crowd that was walking, and there's a group of people who were in front of the doors going into the venue. And I noticed that right before the doors, there was a, a gentleman with a big picket sign, and he was protesting uh, the Christian views that were expressed at this conference. He wasn't a Christian and wanted to protest, and so he stood with this sign, uh, protesting, and I watched several people who were attending this conference just surround him and begin to rail him. They began to shout things towards him that were definitely not of God. They began to just almost cuss him out for what he was doing. And as he stood there, these people are just kind of shouting at him. He just he started quoting scripture, and he said, "And they will know you are Christians by your love." It was a stinging rebuke that hit my heart, that I did not forget. I would, in fact, say it fed into part of my calling to help equip the church to effectively be witness to the love and the gospel of Jesus Christ. There was much for us to learn as a church in that moment, just as there's much for us to learn today. It is not lost on me that the word evangelical does not have a great following in many places. I know that's not all the fault of the church. There will always be persecution. There will always be those who dislike evangelical Christians no matter what we do. However, we can and should own the instances where our witness, and what I mean by witness is pointing people to Jesus, where our witness was not all that it was intended to be. The word evangelical is a word I love. Unfortunately, it's become too political, and when it gets into the political environment, it loses its meaning. Some want to get rid of the word. I do not. The word means gospel people or gospel influence. It takes the story of what Jesus did for us in a dying and hurting world and puts it front and center in one word. The word represents people who have been eternally impacted and who carry with them the news that Jesus has come to heal those who are broken beyond repair. Could there be anything more beautiful than that? Could there be anything more needed in our country today than that? None of us are perfect. Even evangelical Christians still sin. And collectively there are times where we as the people who carry this good news that Jesus comes and gives new life and repairs those who are uh, broken beyond repair, do a lot of damage in the cause. We blow it. We don't always live up to what we're supposed to be. And the way to change that is to own it, to repent of it, and to ask God for help. Today, more than ever, there seems to be an increasing amount of resistance towards the gospel but we are not without hope. We're going to see that Mark in the gospel today, that Jesus broke into a world where there was much resistance against him in the gospel. And in that world, Jesus' love and person and story flourished. In fact, I would say the world that we're going to look at in the gospel of Mark was even more resistant to the gospel than the world that we experience today in 2021. But where there's Jesus, there's hope. So our question today 
is how do we become an effective witness for Jesus? How do we as His church who He bought with His blood become an effective witness for Him? A witness is one who gives evidence based off of personal experience or personal knowledge. A witness is one who gives testimony, gives evidence based off of personal knowledge or experience. How do we get better at this? How do we engage in conversation and friendship with those who do not believe what we believe and who do not care about the things that we as followers of Jesus Christ hold dear? How do we relate to them? How do we come alongside them? How do we give witness? How do we do this better? Our world right now so desperately needs to see Jesus as he truly is. And Jesus commissioned his church to put him and his message on full display to a dying, hurting world. And I believe God helps us to do that in the passage that we have before us here in the book of Mark. If you have a Bible, open your Bible to Mark chapter 7. If you're new to the Bible, Mark is in the New Testament. If you go three-quarters of the way through, you'll find Matthew and Mark will be in chapter 7, focusing on verses 31 to 37. In this, we see an amazing picture of Jesus. This week, as I was preparing and I was reading this story over and over and over again, it hit me like a ton of bricks, how altogether perfect Jesus is, how altogether powerful Jesus is, how altogether awesome Jesus is. I was taken back by how amazing our God, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is in these verses. So let's read, I'm going to read these seven verses to you, and then let's unpack this story. Mark chapter 7, verses 31 to 37. Again, leaving the region of Tyre, he went by way of Sidon to the Sea of Galilee through the region of the Decapolis. The Decapolis were ten cities that were very hostile to the things of God. They brought to him a deaf man who had difficulty speaking and begged Jesus to lay his hand on him. So he took him away from the crowd in private. After putting his fingers in the man's ears and spitting, he touched his tongue. Looking up to heaven... He sighed deeply and said to him, Ephetha, that is, be open. Immediately his ears were open, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak clearly. He ordered them to tell no one, but the more he ordered them, the more they proclaimed it. They were extremely astonished and said, he has done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear in the mute speak. Can you imagine a group of people who are hostile to the things of God, who do not believe what Christians believe, who are antagonistic to the message of the gospel, saying that Jesus does every single thing well? That was the witness he laid forward. There's this amazing picture that happens, and I want to look at what happens in this text. First, we want to see that this man was healed that Jesus healed this man. He was deaf and he could not speak. This text says he had difficulty speaking. Other texts say he had a speech impediment, which probably tells us this man was not born like this, but something happened after he was born to leave him in this condition. 
In the gospel, we see that Jesus healed both blind people and deaf people. It's hard to say which is worse. And I don't say this to lessen the tragedy and pain and impact of blindness, but there's recent research that shows as terrible as blindness is, people who are blind generally do not suffer under the social pain and emotional stigma that people who are deaf do. Deaf people have to endure impatient stares by those unaware of their condition. Deaf people are often thought to be less intelligent. And this man finds himself in this place. He could not ask questions. He could not hear answers. He probably, based off a of context, could not read. He could not hear firsthand about Jesus and hear from Jesus. But he had people who loved him. And these people, in verse 22, are, or verse 32, are known as they. You don't know who they are. They're just they. Everybody needs some they that love them. Because they brought this man to Jesus. They cared enough that they heard of Jesus and brought them to him. And Mark goes into a lot of detail on how Jesus healed him. So that leads to the question, how did Jesus heal him? First it says he took him away from the crowd in private to avoid embarrassment, to give this man dignity. Probably the first time he experienced that. Jesus was healing the soul as much as he was healing the physical body. And then he does five things that we see in the text. First, he puts his fingers in his ears. The Greek says literally, he thrusted his fingers into his ears. And then he spits on his hand and he touches his tongue. Then Jesus looked up to heaven. Then he sighed deeply. And then he spoke, be opened. And we're going to go into all these in a second. But Mark gives us great detail of how this happened. And when we look at this, it feels awkward. It feels like he could have did something different. So it leads to the question, why did Jesus heal him in this way? Probably due to the nature of this man's disability. It probably prompted Jesus to change his method to reach this man. When we look at how he did this, he first touched his ears. This is a sign to the man that Jesus was about to heal him. If Jesus just simply walked past this man and healed him, which he had the power to do, the man could question who healed him. He could question where did this healing come from. Jesus wanted him to know that he was doing the healing. Then he wet his tongue, telling the man that you are soon going to be able to speak. And then he looked up to heaven the only source we have for healing power. And then he sighed. This visibly communicated to this deaf man that Jesus was moved by compassion for his condition. That he could see when Jesus sighed, that Jesus understood, that Jesus was there, that Jesus cared. And then Jesus spoke, be opened. It's the first time this man heard sound in years. Jesus accommodated his healing method to this man's condition. And notice this, that his method communicated clearly that Jesus alone was this man's healer, 
This man would have no question about who healed him or how he was healed. There is only one solution. It was this man, Jesus Christ. But I believe there's another way that he did this healing the way he did. And I want to examine it in depth with you. I believe he did it this way to give us an example on how to have an impact in a world that is hostile to Jesus and his message. You see, Jesus was in a Gentile land, no Jewish people, people very hostile to the things of God. They cursed the things of God. They weren't open. And Jesus spent eight months of a three-and-a-half-year ministry in regions like this, about a third of his ministry. That's how much he wants us to take his message to the unfamiliar, to take his message to those uninterested, to take his message even to those who are resistant And I want to suggest that in this picture that we see in Mark, Jesus gives us a process to do that, an example to do that. First, we see that Jesus has an effective look, an effective look. It says Jesus looked up to heaven. Jesus was in constant communion, and when I mean communion, I mean deep, intimate relationship with the Father. He was in constant communion with God the Father. There's only one time in human history, only one time in the existence of time and space and beyond where Jesus and the Father were not in close communion, and that was when Jesus was on the cross and the Father had to turn and pour his wrath on his Son who became our sin to pay our price. That was the only time They were not in close, deep communion. So Jesus looks up. Jesus had times where he went away in prayer. We see that. But he was always in prayer when he went about life, even in the busyness and the craziness of life. He's in this crazy time. He's in this place where people are hostile to God and many are coming because they long to be healed. They long to get something from him. And in this busy time, he looks up to heaven as this person is before him wanting to be healed. We can be so busy about the needs of our children that we forget to pray for our children. We could be so busy about doing our job well that we forget to pray for those in our workplace. We could be so busy about serving in church and family and community that we forget the greatest thing we can do is pray for those. There's no greater service. An upward look to God is more than just a frantic nod. We were in life group the other night and we were talking about connecting with God. And I mentioned to our life group, there's times where I will take time out of my day where I want to connect with God in prayer or read his word, not to study for a sermon or to be, not for my job, but for me personally. And I'll set aside time and a time comes and I'll go to pray or I'll go to read God's word. And it's almost like there's this tidal wave of frantic stress and busyness that hits me to the point where it's almost like I have to press through in order to do that. It's almost like all the power of hell is trying to hold me back from entering into this time. All sorts of stuff comes into my head. You got to do this and don't forget that and you got to do this. And it's like it makes it so hard to press through. Have you ever experienced that? I found in my life group I wasn't alone. But in order to be effective in our witness to the world, we first and foremost have to become people of prayer. 
We have to work on this. We have to get better at it. As one Bible commentator said, if we are not exposing our souls to God in worship, prayer, and reading the Bible, then God's life will not be burned into ours. Don't you love that? If we never do that and call ourselves Christians, we are sinning. We are lying. We should be praying for our inner life, that our walk matches our talk. We should be praying in detail for family members. We should be praying for friends and coworkers in detail. We should be praying for our church and the ministries of the church in detail with specifics. If we are prayerless, we will not accomplish much in terms of the mission that Jesus gave us here in the community of Wisconsin Rapids. You may be saying, man, this prayer thing is hard for me. I, I, I come from a background we don't pray a lot, and I, I hear how you guys pray on stage and how people here pray on stage and how people in our life group pray, and I just have never done that before. How do I do that more? There's an amazing tool that has just come out. If you have the YouVersion app, that I'm, I've done this, I've used this, it helps me personally. If you get the YouVersion app, you, that app in the upper left that says Holy Bible, put that on your phone. You press in their homepage. You'll scroll down. It'll say prayer. You hit pray now, and it will walk you through. If you just carve out 10 minutes of your day in silence, this will prompt you and walk you through, teach you how to pray, how to dedicate and consecrate your life to Christ like we sang about. It's an amazing tool. I highly, highly recommend it. The second thing we need for an effective witness is an effective sigh. As I mentioned, Jesus sighed to show this man a visible sign of care and compassion. When this man saw Jesus sighing, he knew that Jesus had empathy for him. He knew that Jesus understood. He knew that Jesus cared. Compassion and care were not popular in the day and age that this was written. They were not popular in the day and age that this man who was deaf and could not speak lived. In Jesus' day, it was not popular, but Jesus knew it would be the avenue to resistors' hearts. And the same is true for our day as well. Listen to me, it's not good enough to have the right theological answer to be a witness for Jesus. We have to have the right theological answers, but in this day and age, it's not enough just to be right. We have to have love and compassion with it. We must be willing to love and give mercy to those we quote-unquote hate, to those who don't agree with us, to those who don't believe what we believe. We must compassionately enter into their lives and seek to understand versus ridicule and cut down and destroy. Even though Jesus was going to heal this man, he knew the outcome. He was going to heal this man. He entered into compassion for him. He made room to be concerned for this man who probably, given his context, could care less about the things of God. It brings the life of Jesus to people when they notice our care and compassion for them. It speaks louder than a good, sound theological argument. Maybe you've experienced this. Have you ever gone through something really, really hard maybe the death of a family member or maybe just a very difficult time and all of a sudden you encounter someone who gets it and understands and they start to get, be empathetic towards you 
And you are almost like, no, stop, because I'm just going to lose it and ball all over the place, right? The empathy that someone gets affects us and creates something within us. People who resist Jesus are softened when they see the compassion versus an argument from the people of God. This text teaches us that Jesus' compassion, which we as his people are supposed to embody, is part of the healing process. It's part of the process of bringing someone who's far away from God back into relationship with God. It's the fuel of the church to display God's mission and who his son is, to bring them in. It's care and compassion. Perhaps Jesus also sighed because of what was behind this man's condition, the fallen world. Jesus knew it wasn't supposed to be like this. Jesus, knowing the Father's plan from the beginning, knew it was not supposed to be like this. The great hymn writer, Frederick Faber, said, There is no place where earth's sorrows are more felt than in heaven, because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit knew what was intended in the beginning of creation and now sees humanity dealing with the fallenness that was not supposed to be. When the church sighs with Jesus... There is a power that is released to a hurting world. When the church sighs with Jesus, there's a power that is released to the hurting world. Notice that Jesus looked up to heaven and then sighed. When we look to heaven, we become compassionate because we see the world through the eyes of God. If you find yourself lacking compassion, all of us get there. Look to heaven and pray and ask God for his sight. Look to heaven and ask God to soften your heart and give you his eyes. Not only was there an effective sigh, there was an effective touch. He touched his ears and his tongue. Jesus never kept himself at arm's length from sinful humanity. Jesus always entered into the mess of people's lives when he was here on earth. He always stepped into messy situations Jesus never stayed away from sinful humanity. Even those who resisted him the strongest, the most bitter, he always entered in. So many times throughout the New Testament we see, and even in the book of Mark, he moved with compassion he touched. True compassion doesn't just feel, it's tied to action and has always resulted in some sort of action. To live your life in a no contact with the outside world or with those who don't believe what you believe is not an effective outreach position. Maybe you're holding back because of fear. Maybe you're holding back because you don't think you have all the right answers. Maybe you're holding back because you don't know what to do. You have to break through that if you're going to be a carrier of God's presence and gospel people. As followers, we carry the gospel. We carry the only power on earth to bring about new life to those who are broken beyond repair. But we must build a relational bridge strong enough to bear the weight of truth. This is more important in this day and age to be an effective gospel witness than it ever has been. We don't rail, we don't cut, we don't break down. We enter into their lives and we build friendships. We build trust. 
We get to know these people who don't think like we think. We get to love these people who don't believe what we believe. And we come alongside them and they say, wow, I've never had a friend like that, though I don't understand anything they're going to do and say in this whole Christianity thing. But man, do they love me. And there's this relational bridge that is built that can bear the weight of truth when we can talk about Jesus Christ. And it makes them think because they think, if this person loves me like this, if this person's a friend to me like this, maybe I should pay attention to what they say. Yelling at them won't work. Trying to set them straight won't work. We enter into their misery. We enter in not just with a physical touch, but we listen to the needs that they have. We notice the one that goes unnoticed. Are we willing to give people who don't agree with us a safe place to live in disagreement as people created in God's image who are given dignity and value? Francis Schaeffer, who is a, an amazing Christian apologist and evangelist and defended the faith, he became friends with an atheist. And the friendship lasted years. The atheist never, ever turned around to accept the claims of Christ. But when Francis Schaeffer died, you know what this atheist said? He said, whether or not Christianity is true, I do not know. But what I do know is that guy loved me. That guy loved me. It paves the way to be an effective witness. Not only was there an effective touch, but there was an effective word. The word of God is enough. It can do the job. Jesus could have just walked and said, be opened, and that, person, that man would have been healed. But he chose to minister the way he did. People who pray, people who are compassionate, people who are willing to enter into the mess of people's lives, are effective in their witness. Jesus was deep in communion with God. He exhaled, exhaled a deep sigh of compassion. His hands touched. He spit. He touched this man. And then he spoke. And when he spoke, the word sailed through the ears of this man into his brain, and a power was released that would change this man's earthly existence forever. Such explosive healing. You know what they did? They couldn't contain themselves. Look at verse 36 and 38. He ordered them not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered, the more they proclaimed it. They couldn't hold back because they never saw such compassion, such love, such power. You see, it's not enough just to do the compassion thing and the loving thing. You have to speak. The gospel needs to be spoken. And they were amazed. They were extremely astonished. And they said, he has done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. In order to reach this world for Christ, this is what's needed. An upward look of prayer. We have to become people of prayer. A heartfelt sigh of compassion. We need to embody the compassion of Christ when we're interacting with people who don't agree with us. A loving touch that enters into their lives that says, you're not just about my agenda, but you're a human being that matters in the sight of God in a pro proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ in an appropriate time. So how do we do this? How do we do this thing? I have two simple things I want to give you and then I'm done. The first thing is I want you to remember where you were before Jesus. Remember where you were before Jesus Christ came into your life. How would you want God's people to think of you? 
How would you want God's people to approach you? Would you want them to argue with you? Would you want them to demean you? Would you want them to poke fun of you and say terrible things about you behind your back? Would you want them to embarrass you? Check this out. Even people far from God, nobody likes to feel stupid. And I've never, ever seen this happen. I've never, ever seen somebody who's atheist or someone who doesn't agree with the things of God and say, I don't agree with the things of God because of this, 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 this. And then a really smart Christian comes around and says, oh, well, let me tell you. Here's the answers to that, that, that. There's this answer, there's this answer, there's this answer. And they go, oh, you know what? That's so true. Now I'm going to become a Christian. I've never, ever seen that happen because human beings don't act like that. When they're entrenched into their opinions, the Bible says they're blinded. They can't see the gospel. Your only thing to do is to love them into the kingdom of God. And when the time is right, the Spirit of God takes your seed sowing and puts it together, and He opens up their heart. But you're never going to get them to that place if you're constantly arguing and battling. Build a bridge, don't push a point. Build a bridge, don't push a point. Number two, take one simple step. Take one simple step and start at your home. Start with those closest to you. Start with the family and friends that you have close to you. Pick one of these four things. Maybe it's be more prayerful. Maybe it's have more compassion. Maybe it's to enter into people's lives to see what they like and what they're about. Or maybe it is at the right time after you've done those things, speaking the gospel about who Jesus is. But pick one of those things and start small. When we pick one of these four and we get really intentional as the people of God to bring this about, then healing will come to our homes and healing will come to our workplaces and healing will come to our communities and healing will come to our nation. I've heard more in the last year from Christians who say, our nation is falling apart, it's going down. Do you know what will heal our nation faster than anything? Is if we pray, we go with compassion to those in our world who disagree with us. We enter their lives by building friendships with them. And in the right moment, when God prompts us through the Holy Spirit, we explain what we believe in who he is. That is the only hope we have for our nation. And as God's called church, we are called to enter into that work. And now it is more critical than it ever has been. And when we do that as Jesus followers, as evangelicals, we will become gospel people once again. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the example of Jesus. I thank you that he's not like us but yet he loves us so much and you love us so much that you sent him to earth to save us from our sin, to give us new life and to be an example to those who were where we were. God, forgive us as your church for railing against those who you love and you care about who are far from you. God, empower us as your church 
to draw people close to you who don't know you. Not by what we say or what we know, but by who we are and what we extend and what we give. Let us become at Crossview Church and beyond amazing bridge builders for the kingdom of God. Instruct us, guide us, lead us. Help us to see your mission and who you are in light of it. So God, we open our hands before you now and we ask that you would move in power and you'd help us build our life on a foundation of love that would invite all those far away from you in closer. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.